going to move this so you don't have to hear me sing. <laughs> You're like, thank you. <laughs> hey, um, welcome. Uh, I really like weeks like this, uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, weeks like this are some of my favorites in churches uh, because we have just finished a series. So we just wrapped up Trust Me from Malachi, which was about six weeks through Malachi, which was a long journey, but a really, really good one. And it's in between weeks, I really enjoy because we get to... Uh, talk about something that maybe our series hasn't covered or something that what's really neat is they typically take a different flavor these sermons do like a more personal flavor because when someone comes to you and says Philip preach on whatever you want you're like huh. so for the next hour and a half I'm, I'm just kidding totally kidding but you get to do something that maybe you don't always get to do. You get to talk about where God's meeting you, and, and I get to share that with you today. So we call them standalone messages around the office, and uh, t today, I'm, today I'm going to be uh, preaching to you, but next week you're in for a real treat because our standalone message is actually going to be our uh, care conference speaker, Patrick. Now, I know Sean mentioned Patrick uh, in the care conference, and maybe you haven't registered. Tomorrow's the deadline. So if you want to register, I'd do it by tomorrow. Uh, there's no walk-ins, so you'll need to do that by tomorrow, but you're going to hear just some amazing things about how to care for people and, and, and things like that. I'm excited to be there and to learn from him, uh, but today we get to share together. And I'm really excited because I feel like God's been meeting me in an area and I really want to talk with you about it. And um, I just want to, like, guess what I chose? Come on, it's up on the screen. Like, <laughs> I chose, you're like, oh, <laughs> I chose relationships. Uh, and, and now, before I jump into this, I know, I know, I know. Uh, typically, when you hear, like, of a preacher talking about relationships, you already think you know what he's going to say. <laughs> so I'd like to ask you, and I know I chose this topic, but I want to ask you just for a minute to pity me. I want you to feel sorry for me, okay? Can you do that? In fact, I want you to feel sorry for anybody who has to, any pastor who has to preach or chooses to about relationships. How would you like to preach to speak to a room this diverse on the topic of relationships. You want to trade places? <laughs> I mean, think about that. And then not only that, but right now we are online and you inherit the whole potential world and all of that culture and all that diversity. And how would you like to be the person to say, we're going to talk about relationships? It's a little bit scary. And, and sometimes, like, it's hard because there are certain topics that a preacher, when, when, you know, when you hear, I'm going to talk about this, you already think you know what he's going to say. And you'll be like, well, time to check my Twitter feed again and maybe tune, tune, tune us out. I can hear the objections now. I'm going to try to get my best basic girl voice on here for you. But I can hear the objections now Something like, like of the ladies, like, here we go. <laughs> I got the head bob even, too. He's going to tell me to wait. Wait for the one. She's going to tell me I'm not ready yet, even though my roommate wasn't ready when she got married, but I never said anything. <sighs> I'm in high school. I know he's just going to tell me not to date until I'm out of high school, and I am not listening to that. <laughs> then I, I can hear some of the older folks. You take one look at me, and you're like, boy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about relationships? I've been married longer than you've been alive. 
I've got cereal that's probably older than your marriage. What you got for me? And then I know there's some that you probably think a preacher talking about relationships means I'm only going to talk to the married people in the room because that's what we do, right? But here's what I would submit to you. What we talk about today is applicable to any and all human relationships. We're going to talk about romantic relationships because it's just a place where I, f- I feel like we need to talk about it. And, and, and I bet you do too. We need to talk about it. But this applies to any and all human relationships. Look, I would submit to you that in a room this size, and I promise I'm not naive enough to not realize that in a room this size, you have the whole gamut of relationships. You've got broken relationships, you've got single, you've got college, you've got high school relationships, you've got widows. You step back into not just the romantic relationships, but maybe a broken relationship with parents, broken relationship with children. Maybe some of you, a really strained relationship with the church. The list could go on endlessly. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. I thought, man, you can't cover all of that in just a short period of time. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to go to my boss. I'm going to go to the words of Jesus. And if you don't like what I have to say, you can take it up with him. Because I think he'll like to listen, or I think he'll like to talk to you anyways. So if there's anyone who encountered every kind of relationship drama, it was Jesus. He created them. He made us to be in relationship, and he wants a relationship with us. And it's because of Jesus he, who gives us our relational toolbox, which, as you've no doubt realized, is the title of today's message. He shows us exactly what is in our relational toolbox. And it's so, so important. Jesus often spoke. He went so many different places. And he often spoke to people just like us about relationships. Groups of people gathered together to hear a teacher, and he'd speak about relationships. He spoke about a lot of things. But sometimes he even spoke about relationships, and we missed it in our English translations of the Bible. He spoke about them, but when we think about it, we're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what he meant. And in our passage today, I missed it completely until a pastor that I really enjoy listening to. It's why I think all of us should listen to more than just one voice. I listen to multiple pastors online, and one of them I really come to enjoy his style and his passion. He talked about this passage we're going to read from a romantic relationship standpoint, and I thought, man, that's really good. And then it got me to thinking about how this would apply to us here at LCC. See, Jesus went to a lot of places, and he had this this sermon that he preached. I I call it his keynote speech. You've probably seen it called the Sermon on the what? The Mount. It's famous. But it's also called in other scriptures the Sermon on the what? Plain, right? It's called Sermon on the Plain at other places. Here's why I think that is. Jesus spoke this at many different places. He spoke it often. He spoke this sermon not just one time, but multiple locations. And in fact, scholars will back me up on this. Every, every speaker who's well sought after, they have like a back pocket speech, right? Something that encompasses what they are all about, what they want you to get, their main teachings. And this was it for Jesus. He spoke it so often. And in some of the commentaries that I was reading, some of the study I did, I think he spoke it so often, his disciples were actually tired of hearing it. 
I think he went to places and he said, he started out this sermon, woe to you. And his disciples were like, oh my gosh, doesn't he write anything new ever? And, and they're like, here it goes again. But here's why I think that's really great. Once he's gone, once he ascends into heaven, his disciples memorized this so well that years later, they could sit down with a scribe, which is someone that would write out what you were saying, and they could recall it word for word. These amazing teachings, and what's really great for us today is it contains our relational toolbox that we absolutely need right now. I, I, I believe we need it in our culture big time, is to learn what we're going to talk about today. Thankfully, you don't have to go far into the New Testament to find it. If you've been keeping a bookmark of where we've been, you've, you've got Malachi at the end. Just flip a couple pages over, and you'll get the chapter 7. And chapter 7 of Matthew is what we're going to be in today. And like you, I've never engaged with this passage. And maybe you have, but I hadn't. From the standpoint of my intimate relationships, like my more close relationships. And I saw it in a new light, and I really hope that you do today as well. I can guarantee you this, though. You won't hear this passage said or read at any wedding ceremony. It would be really awkward. I just want you to picture what you do. Like, so I'm right here, right? Picture, picture your wedding. If, if you've recently been married you've been, or you're married, like picture this. You're going to be like, I'm never having you do my wedding if you're not married. But just picture this scene, okay? I'm here. Man, the bride's coming. Oh, so beautiful. And then the groom's like looking real dapper, put together a little tear. You know, it's real beautiful, all that stuff. And then here I come and I say this. I say this. Tell everyone, hey, we're here for this whole marriage thing. I probably wouldn't say it like that. But like, hey, we're here. You know, we're going to perform this cool wedding ceremony. And then I go in and I just, all of you are family, right? And I look at the bride and groom and I say this. I read Matthew 7, 1 through 8. I look at her. I said, do not judge, woman. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge your groom, it will be measured to you. Groom, why do you look at the speck in your bride's eye and ignore the log in your own, the plank in your own? How can you say to her, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? It's really romantic. You can feel this, right? You feel the energy. And then I go to doing this. I hit the groom on the arm like, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your bride's eye. And then I look at her, and this is where it gets really good. I say, honey... Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Hopefully he's not one of those. Ask, and then I wrap it up really nice. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Have a wonderful life. Some of you are like, you're never doing my wedding. Can you imagine, like, what a lovely sentiment for your wedding day. It's one of those passages that would never be read at a wedding, but probably really needs to be thought of from the husband and wife. We'll find out in a minute. Just a side note, if you're not married and you ever decide to get married, can I please do your wedding? I won't charge you a thing. Just, we won't tell anybody. You just come up there and I'll be like, I'll just hit the groom. Like, you hypocrite. It'll be hilarious. Please, I'm, just let me do it. Oh, that'd be amazing. So today, we're holding this passage as a primary relationship passage because I really think that it is. I really think that it is. Married, dating, single, ready to mingle, wherever you find yourself. I think this applies to us. And though we're going to look at it, we have to pick a lane. We're going to look at it through the lens of a romantic relationship, intimacy, but it applies to all human relationships, employer and employee, 
father, daughter, mother, son. It applies to all of them. But we're just going to look at romantic relationships because I really think we need to talk about it. But just know, make a note, these principles apply to all, okay? Typically, we think of this passage as a do not judge other people passage. That's absolutely correct. It is. It's a, that's, that's great biblical interpretation. It does mean don't judge somebody else. But typically, I thought of that as like those outside of my immediate circle, right? I think about it, and maybe you're this way. I think about it in terms of those people who I disagree with. That if I were in a room with, I probably wouldn't talk to. Maybe the people that have done something to me that is bad. I think about the people I disagree with. That if you had two columns, you have your enemies and you have your friends or your family, they'd be the enemies column, right? That's, that's how I typically think of it. I shouldn't cast judgment on those people. But what about, what about my close relationships? Like, does it even apply? Does it apply to those people that are in my immediate circle of influence? If you're like me, you may have never thought about this in relation to the person that you share a home with, a bank account with, a bed with. If you're dating, you may have never thought about this passage in in relation to the guy that you just you're really crazy about and you really like. Or that girl that you're like, man, if she says watch HGTV, I will watch HGTV because that is how important she is to me. You may have never thought about it in relation to her. But if you're engaged, you, you, you maybe haven't thought about this passage very much. It, might, it probably wasn't in your premarital courses or anything. But it's so, so important. Because, I mean, when you're engaged, there's so many choices to make, decisions to make. Why would you step back and read this? But within this Sermon on the Mount, when you come to chapter 7, you'll find your relational toolbox, and it's so, so powerful. And I want us to explore that today. So Jesus starts out in front of many people. And I think he did this multiple times as I've shared. And he gets up and he, he, starts, he, he starts his beatitude message, you know, woe to you, woe to you, and blessing to you. And, and then he gets to this part, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now the word that he uses here is pronounced krino. It's a Greek word. And what it does is it denotes the idea of a negative feeling or opinion about somebody else. And we're not to crino somebody else. So turn to your neighbor and go, I will not crino you. Some of you are like, I don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm not doing that. All right. What it means is you're not going to speak judgment on that person. Well, we, we, we never express negative opinions about anybody anyways, right? So we don't even need this today. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we really do. And, but, but where do those come from and why are they there? Well, it's because of what Jesus speaks about. You have a plank in your own eye and, and there's a speck in another's eye. And we've got to figure out the tools we need to figure this out and to understand how to remove our plank and help somebody else with the sawdust in their eye. And that's what we talk about today. And you'll notice, and I didn't even notice this until I really read this further, Jesus actually never says, you're never to look at somebody else's life in discern their character. He never says that. He encourages it. 
He never says you're not to look at somebody else and say, you do you and that's fine. No, you can't, that's not it. That's not it. What he does, though, is he turns it inward. So look at yourself. Turn it inward. Remove the things from your life. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck. He doesn't say just don't worry about the speck. He says you'll see clearly. All of, uh, above all, Jesus tells us not to let our discerning of somebody else's character ever lead to a judgment of that person. That's not ours to give. So, what is in our toolbox? What's in our relational toolbox? Well, when you read verse 3, go back to verse 3, you see that. We sometimes think that, think that means we can't look at somebody else's life. Why do you look at the speck in somebody else's eye? We, we think it doesn't mean that. But this first tool in our relational toolbox is actually very, very vital. It's very important. We absolutely must learn to use this properly. It's a magnifying glass if you didn't know. Just clarifying. How can you see up close to somebody that you're far from? If we are to discern the character of somebody else, how do you expect to do that? From a stage. From your own platform. We can't see the speck in another person's eye unless we come down and do life with them. Unless we rub shoulders with them. Look, from up here, you can't see the imperfections, and there are many that I have up here. You can't see if I'm sweating or not. You're probably like, good. I remember the sermon a couple weeks ago, sicko. You remember that. And then I can't see like the eye boogers in your eye from here. I can't see if they're glazing over. I can't see that. But you're like, please don't do this. If I come down there, I can see because I'm next to you. It's one of the reasons life groups are so important to LCC because you have to do life with other people and help them develop their character. So, as part of our relational toolbox, we must learn to magnify things, the right things, the right things. There will come a moment in every relationship, especially romantic ones, where you'll be able to peer into somebody else's life. And you'll be able to discern certain things about them, their character, their flaws, their strengths. You get to that point. And unless we work on ourselves as well, which is the second tool, we'll get to that in a minute, we will magnify the wrong things. Because we do magnify the wrong things oftentimes. But let's talk about first what we, what, what we choose to magnify. Okay, and I'm going to talk about this in, in terms of relationships, remember, but this applies to all. But I'm talking about like, like man-woman relationships, romance. I want to talk about that because there's two contexts in a romantic relationship. If, and I know it's different for everybody, but hopefully um, you decide one day that you're dating, you eventually want it to lead to a wedding ceremony, right? Like you, you want to find someone that you can spend your life with, invest in. That's important. And I know it's different for everybody, but if that's you, there's two contexts in which you find yourself before the wedding day and after. So let's talk about before and why it's so important to examine the person that you are with. Boy, we should really use these in dating. My goodness. Every father's like, sweetie, listen up, please. 
We need to really use these in dating. We have got to get so close to people and see every little speck in their life before we decide to spend our lives with somebody. We've got to use these in dating. We we need to get up close. We need to do life with them, walk with them. But, but so often, what do we choose to magnify? You're in a relationship, especially if it's new. What do you choose to magnify? The shallow things. I see this in my family all the time. I've got so many uh, people in my family that they do this and it just pains me. I just want to be like, use your magnifying glass. And they magnify the things that are so obvious. And we leave the other things uh, go unchecked. You know what I'm talking about. Boy, she's real pretty. She, look at how funny she is. Or, boy, I don't even need this to see them biceps. Like, look at that. He's so handsome. He's so laid back. That might mean he's lazy, but you'll know that if you marry him. Okay? (laughs) Boy, like, he loves Jesus. But does he have grocery money? Things we should probably ask. But we don't use these. We magnify different things. We have to magnify the right things. And go deeper. And examine character of other people. But there's, there's another context, right? After, see, what happens is we, we have young couples, or, or it doesn't have to be young, but you've, you fall in love, you get so crazy about each other, but you never really look for these things, and you rush into something, and then before you know it, it's a couple years later, and sometimes it doesn't even take that long, and things start to pop up. You're like, whoa, I didn't see that. But they were there. We just didn't look. So let's move on to after. Eventually, in, in your romantic relationships, what do you do? Well, you stand before God, and friends and family, and you profess your love to one another, but you also make promises to one another. And 30 minutes later, and honestly, my last wedding ceremony I did was 14 minutes long. 14 minutes later, you're sitting at a reception, and then you're off to a honeymoon, and that's it, right? Disney never includes the after. You come back, and She doesn't go to her house. She comes to my, I mean, our house. Look, and I know that this is, this doesn't always happen in today's culture, uh, but it's important to me and it was important to Sarah. When we got engaged, we just decided we're not going to live together until we get married. We felt like that's what God wanted us to do. And we felt like it honored each other. And there was something really special when we came home from our honeymoon and we walked into our house for the first time. It was like a catalyzing moment for us. And that's why when I mentor couples or when I talk to couples about marriage, I really encourage that if, 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 if they haven't already done that. I'm like, don't don't do that yet. Like, wait, it's so, so worth it. And we did that. But, and those of you who have done that, like, that's really fun for a while. And then, and and then you realize like, and I think it was more her that realized he's not going anywhere. Me, I'm like, this is great. She's like, oh, she's not going anywhere. And what do we do? Well, we use this still, but we begin to magnify different things. And it doesn't take very long for this to happen. Do you remember when you thought he was so cute and funny? Now he keeps forgetting to take out the trash. Now there's dishes in the sink from her all the time. Do you remember when, like, you used to do stuff together? Now it seems he only wants to do stuff that leads to you know what. Or 
She only wants to curl up on the couch and watch HGTV. And if I see one more show about how to flip a house, I'm going to destroy mine. (laughs) You see what we do? We magnify different things. Jesus knew this would happen. We magnify different things. We start magnifying the negative things. Why? Because the newness is worn off. Why? Because you got so excited about these things, you didn't choose to examine the character before, and before you know it, you're familiar with one another, and it's a lot easier to point out the things that annoy you over the things that you enjoy. The truth is, it's the same. You didn't marry someone to change him. If you did, buckle up. It doesn't happen. But I meet couples all of the time who will magnify so many negative things about their spouse. And sometimes it's even in front of other people. That's awkward. But here's the truth about what you choose to magnify. In fact, you can stop listening after this. If you write nothing else down, I will be fine if you write this down because I think it's the most important thing I'm going to say. What you magnify, you get more of. What you magnify, you get more of. Let me explain with church for a minute. Let's just take a break from relationships. Let's talk about church. If you come here, I just want to save you some time. If you come here and you look for things to get upset about, you will find them because it's all you look for. In the other church that you go to, you will find them. Why? Because we, only ma- we look for what we magnify, and what we magnify, we get more of. When you magnify your significant others, whether it's marriage or dating or whatever, when you magnify their weaknesses, guess what? You will get more of those because it's all you look for. It's all you look for. But Jesus knew this, and that's why he cautions us. And there's actually another side to this truth, and I'm so, so thankful that there's another side to this truth. You can likewise choose to magnify somebody else's strengths. And the same principle applies. What you magnify, you get more of. Allow me to explain. I hate running. I do. I thought I'd get an amen, but some people are like, amen, thank you. I hate running. Whoever invented running as a sport, I think just hated people. I really do. It's like ridiculous. Like, that's, that's not fun. So my, like my wife and I, we, we like to work out together. One of the ways we bond is recreationally, we, we love to work out together. And I, I like get into it until she says, hey, I think we should add running to our list. And I'm like, no, you can do that. I'll ride my bike, right? So she does it a couple times. And she's like, you should really do this. I'm like, no, I shouldn't. And then she does something that she knows I'm too immature not to lean into. She goes, I dare you. I'm like, what? She goes, I bet you won't. Are you scared? <laughs> okay. So I put on my shoes. We take off running. We run, I don't know, a couple miles, and we get done. And ladies, take notes. I think my wife could do a conference on this. We'll, we'll talk about it later, honey. I think she could do a conference on this. I don't know where she learned it, but it's genius. Instead of saying, wow, you complained a lot because I did, she looks at me and goes, babe, you are so fast. That's interesting. She goes, genius. She says, you kept right up like you impressed me. And I was like, well, it's easy for me, you know. (laughs) Every time she runs, who do you think's with her? Because what you magnify, you get more of. Ladies, you can make your husband take out the trash. When he finally picks up a trash bag. 
and gets the rat out of it that's built a nest in there. And he takes it out to the curb instead of going, it's about time. You say, babe, them biceps right there. That bag must be heavy, but that's pretty impressive. He's going to go, where's the rest of the trash at, sweetie? Let's go. He's going to put one in his mouth. He's going to be like, yeah. What you magnify, you get more of. When you magnify the people you love strengths, they want to flex those for you. You get more of what you magnify. This works in all our relationships. But there's another tool. Eventually we have to put this down. And we have to pick up the one that Jesus spoke about often. Eventually, we have to stop searching in somebody else and begin looking inside. Verse 5. Take the plank out of your own eye first. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Do you realize that sometimes we magnify things in other people that we don't like because if we were to look at this, we'd see them in ourselves? And it's a lot easier to look at them, talk about what they're doing wrong, versus Jesus. Where do I need to grow? You know what I love about this tool? I won't turn it the other way. I like blinded someone last service. Um, you know what I love about this tool? It causes you to bloom where you are. It causes you to stop looking at everybody else and what they're doing and look at your own stage of life. How quickly are we to speak into somebody else's stage of life that we have A, never experienced, or B, no longer experienced because we've moved past that? If, if you're married, if you're married in the room, would you please stop telling single people they're just not ready yet? Were you 100% ready for something you never experienced when you walked down the aisle? If you have children, would you please, would you please stop saying to those young couples who don't, when they tell you how busy they are, how tired they are, just wait till you have kids. You're busy with your kid's soccer schedule. They may be busy with their career or some life change. Or maybe they would really love to have kids, but they can't. If you're single, we got to talk to you too. <laughs> would you stop telling those people who are married how you will treat your future spouse? I did that all the time. I'm like, well, I'm going to do this. And they're like, just wait, Okay. Why don't we mind our own business in the stage of life that we're in? And why don't we say, Jesus, what do you want to show me right now in my stage of life that could maybe help somebody else and not discredit what somebody else is doing or where they're at? You know why else I love this tool? This is a fantastic tool. It also helps us focus on becoming over being. 
It helps us focus on who we are becoming. In fact, I used to teach this to students all the time in regards to relationships. I, I was told, and if you're single, I really want to just talk to you for a minute. And when I say single, I mean just not married, okay? You'd be in a relationship and everything. But like, if you're not married yet, I really want to talk to you. Because I lived this for many, many years. It, being a, a single pastor was hard because everybody would try to tell me, and they probably told you, just wait. You're... You're, you're not ready yet. And, and let me just tell you something. If you want to debunk that ridiculous myth, just look at some of the people who are married. And you'll be like, they aren't ready yet either. No one's ever 100% ready for something they've never experienced before. So what if you use this, single person? What if you use this and focus on who you are becoming and who you are becoming in Jesus? What if... What if you did make a list for yourself first? We used to teach our students this. I, I was told by so many people, all these things you should do as a Christian to, you know, get ready for your spouse or whatever. And I'm like, okay. And what I found most helpful was when I stepped back and said, who do I want to become? Or Jesus, who do you want me to become? You know what happens when you do that? You attract somebody else doing the exact same thing. Because when you're focused on becoming who Jesus wants you to become, it is really attractive to somebody else doing the exact same thing. And do you know what else I found out? <laughs> I found out that all the things I would have on a list, my wife had. I told her that. She goes, shoot, boy, I am your list. And I'm like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. That is, that is absolutely correct. You are. And married people... I want you to do the same thing. Focus on who you're becoming. Not who you want your spouse to become. Not who you wish they were not. That's a scary game. But you, how often is it so easy to say, I think you should do this when Jesus is saying, but I need you to be this before. The magnifying glass and the mirror. Two incredible tools in our relational toolbox. But we could go on and on about how to use these things. But I want to end with one last question. What happens when we stop using them? Or what happens when we use one over the other? Let's go back to examining other people. What happens when you stop magnifying other people's weaknesses? You stop looking for them. Likewise, what happens, do you think, if you quit magnifying other people's strengths? Become selfish. You fail to use your life to leverage influence in somebody else's. Our senior pastor, Craig, he says this about his life. I think it's really beautiful. He says that he wants his life to be leveraged as influence in somebody else's life for the sake of Christ. He says it way better because he's a master with words. And I just think that is incredible. That's how I want to live. But if we aren't magnifying the strengths in other people, we will never get there. Because we'll draw inward. And this world will have so much untapped potential because we didn't call it out of those people. What if we stop using this? When we stop asking who Jesus wants us to become, what do you think happens? We stay at the same place physically, relationally, spiritually, vocationally for years and never 
change. The world cannot afford for you not to ask Jesus, who do I need to become? Can't afford it. If you're dating, if you're dating, I, would, you, would you please use this? Your future in-laws might really appreciate it. Would you please use this and, and would you use this? Who am I becoming and who are they becoming? If you're a parent, man, would you use this to magnify that child's strengths? Instead of, well, you wish you would have done it this way. And would you, Jesus, as a parent, who do I need to become? As an employer, <laughs> magnify your employee's strengths. How can I serve them well? You see the endless application. Who are you becoming? Towards the end of this passage, Jesus says, it's not a really good passage to read at a wedding, but he says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw pearls to pigs. And we could have a lot of fun with that passage, but I think it's a really good way to live. Because as I was studying this, um, one commentary pointed out, and I want to bring it before you because I think it's, it's great. Believers are to be merciful, forgiving, and slow to judge. Yet, they should wisely discern the true character of other people. When we do that, things change. Can you imagine if we were a group of people who focused on other people's strength, magnified their character, helped call out their character, develop their character, but we also were becoming who we're meant to become. Can you just imagine the implications that would have in your house, in your campus, at your school, in your relationship with whoever? Can you just imagine what that would do? It gets me excited, and I hope it does you as well. And maybe today, all this talk of relationships, maybe you've yet to make a commitment to the most important one. Look, for me, I, I have a lot of really important relationships in my life, but none of them compares to my relationship with Jesus. Seriously, none. Because without that, I can't be all I can be for those relationships. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I have not, I, I don't have that. Maybe today's that day. We will sing a song. And um, after that song, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll come out front. And if you want to come talk, you can come talk. If that's not your style and I get it, you can send me a, an email. In fact, all of our staff members' emails are in the back of your bulletin. Email any one of us. We want to help you take that next step. But you've got to be willing to do that. I can't say it's going to be easy when you use these tools. But I can tell you this. There's a lot of freedom there. And there's a lot of life change there. And coming from someone who's been through that. And many of you have been through that. It is absolutely incredible. And I would love for you to experience that as well. So maybe today's that day. But if you've already been there. Maybe today's the day that you. You take your toolbox. 
you start really using these to change the world because he's equipped you to do so. Let's pray. God, thank you for this. Thank you for these tools and thank you for your love. Let us be all we can be and let us call out the strengths in others. In your name we pray, amen.